Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. And show the world your heart. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart. Welcome. You're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Our underwriters for Art in the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum, regional art patron Mary LeVan, and our landlord, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments. Thank you for your generous support. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thanks to Greg Kovach, WVLP's station manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operations at Lakeshore Public Radio. Art in the Air streams live at WVLP.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, every Sunday at 7 p.m., also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Information about Art in the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts-related event, exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com, or through our Facebook page. Art in the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art in the Air, Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com slash AOTA. You can find out support information there. So don't just be an Art on the Air listener. Become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so so we continue to bring you this great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. And we'd like to welcome to Art in the Air Spotlight, someone who's been with us many times before. Uh, she is also Beverly Shores Museum president uh, there on uh, US-12, but also she's widely traveled, lives and creates uh, things about the Indiana Dunes. She paints using fibers and creates that, and she has a new exhibit coming out. Susie Vance, welcome to Art on the Air Spotlight. Thank you very much, Larry and Esther. It's delightful to be here. It's always Love glad to have you. So tell us about, you have an exhibit coming up. and uh, I do. So tell us a little about that. That'll be where it is and when it is. It's actually just opened last weekend. It was the opening, but it's going to be running all month. It's at the Marshall J. Center for the Arts in Miller. And it is a delightful location, actually a pretty large gallery. And they asked me if I, over a year ago, if I would be willing to exhibit there. And every one of my other exhibits after about February disappeared. And this one, lo and behold, 
actually, I think, is going to happen, which is amazing. And I'm going to have my fiber art, my photography, and my weaving in the show. What does your photography consist of? I Years ago, I started to take morning pictures and put them on Facebook. And people became, I mean, out of the woodwork. I'd walk down the street. Oh, I saw your picture. That was great. Blah, blah, blah. And what I finally started doing was haiku poetry to go with the photography. And last year, I did a piece about what is fondly referred to as the Lagoni Preserve in Beverly Shores. I walked through the preserve. I took pictures and people asked me if I doctored them in any way because they have blue hues. I'll give you an example. These. Oh, yeah. I didn't adjust the color at all. Anyway, I wrote uh, a haiku poem that goes, each, each one of the pictures, there are 12, has a haiku poem with it. And they also have a running poetry that runs from the beginning to the end. Do you have the, do you have the poem available for the photo you just showed us? Oh, I do. Yeah. Do you want to? We'd love to hear it. Can we hear it? Uh, Sure. You, have you got a minute? Sure. Hold on. It's actually the third page of uh, a zine I did. And the, um, the running line in the long poem is to witness the forest. And the haiku is quiet, still, silence, being inside and outside. Together we are one. Oh, lovely. Beautiful. I think I actually Thank have you. that uh, uh, zine you gave me some years ago or a couple of years ago. I so. probably did. <laughs> <laughs> so the show's running till when? It's running till the 29th of November, and they're open on Saturdays and Sundays. You can check their hours on the website. Okay. And what do you have planned uh, after this? Anything down after the road? After this? I'm assuming things turned around a little. I have two uh, shows that I was supposed to do in Grand Rapids this year got postponed to next year. I'd like, and, I'd like to ask a question about the exhibit that you have going on. Sure. Which is how far back, what is the, um, what is the range in age from the work? Like where does the work, how, you know, what is the, the span of time? The work covers about two years worth of work, I think. Great. It'd be fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And briefly, update us a little bit on the depot as you are the madam president over there. The depot is wonderful. And actually, if we go into next year and this continues, we're going to have a virtual exhibit. We haven't done that yet, although you can see a lot of the museum things on our website. And we are about to um, start. There's a new website coming. It's moments away. And so we're pretty excited about that. And you've been closed all this time, pretty much. I mean, there's it, uh, it's well, hard no, to do. No, not pretty much. We have been closed. Yeah. Uh, what we've had is an open gift shop. And that happened because the 555 went online. And from that, out of that, grew the gift shop online. So it's pretty fun. And you're involved with area artists, too. So there's an exhibit going with them uh, currently. Yes, a virtual exhibit. Carol Estes has done a wonderful job putting us all together. I 
I think she's a saint because yeah. she decided to take it on. <laughs> and she literally has gone to every artist's home who didn't do their own video and done a video of them so that she could put their video and their work on the website. So that's really fabulous. She's a true dynamo. She's amazing. She's as amazing in the, in the field of photography in terms of her energy as Susan Atwell is in fiber. It's just really fun to watch. Well, I think that's about all the time we have, Susie. Uh, it's going to be at the Marshall Gardner Center continuing through November 29th. Uh, Susie Vance's uh, whole exhibit. So if you get a chance, get by there in Miller, uh, right in the little Miller section there. Susie, thank you for being on Art on the Air Spotlight. Mary and Esther, thank you for having me. And now a very special musical treat during the pandemic from Billy and Renee Foster, their new song called Virus. Listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM.
And now we welcome to Art in the Air, Janine Harrison, who wrote a poetry collection, Weight of Silence, uh, among her other works, uh, freelance writes, teaches creative writing at Calumet College of St. Joseph, and she's a teaching artist and activist throughout the Chicagoland, along with her husband, uh, Michael Poor, whose short fiction appeared in Glimmer Train, South uh, Review. And we're also going to have her uh, daughter on to probably give us an insight of this artistic and uh, literary couple, Gianna. Please welcome you know, them to Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Thank you very much, Larry. Good to be here. Yes, thank you. Okay, well, we'll first start with you, uh, uh, Michael. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got from where you were to where you are now, and, you know, your whole, like, kind of life journey. Well, it, where I was was uh, was Ohio, and uh, somewhere along the line, uh, when I was in high school, I, I met a woman, not Janine, sorry, uh, uh, who was from this area, and after a, after a couple of years, I moved up here, and and we got married. Then we swiftly got unmarried. But uh, while that uh, while that was happening, uh, my mother-in-law got me a job at uh, at the junior high school where I work and where I still uh, twenty odd years later teach sixth grade. And while all that was going on, uh, I wrote a bunch of short stories and uh, now find myself with three books under my uh, under my belt. So, but what about elementary school and high school? Were you writing then? I mean, is where did it? Where when did it hit you? I, I, I'm glad you asked. I had a uh, I had a fifth grade teacher named John Gibbons who decided that we were going to have uh, a creative writing class every other Friday, and I wrote a story for him uh, about uh, Thanksgiving from the turkey's point of view. And <laughs> next year it was it was published in the local paper. And all the local uh, elementary uh, teachers made their kids write uh, write essays about it. And uh, as a result, the next year when I went to junior high, I almost uh, almost got beaten up because I was that guy who wrote that dumb story that they all had to write an essay about. <laughs> so that was kind of the beginning. So tell us a little bit about where you went to college and uh, things like that, too. We kind of skipped over that. Oh, all right. Uh, I went to went to college at Ohio University for a long time. I had a, a really great time uh, in college, and and uh, I, it sort of took a. I had to take a couple of runs at it. There was a period when I went back to my hometown and worked for a, worked for a while, and then uh, after college, I stuck around and uh, and drove a taxi cab uh, for a while before before actually trying to go into teaching. Uh, so there's uh, so there's that. That, that, that has to provide a whole bunch of storylines right there, I would imagine. There are, there are a couple of things. There was, there was the time I accidentally, uh, and I've told this story before, but I accidentally helped somebody escape from jail uh, one time. There was, <laughs> I was sitting up on the square waiting, as one does at 5 o'clock in the morning, for a fair to wander by. And a, a gentleman wearing nothing but, uh, but tidy, tidy whities uh, climbed into the cab. And uh, before I could refuse him, he, he was there. And I, he said, I just got out of jail. <laughs> to ask him any further uh, uh, for any further details, so I drove him home. And uh, the next day, somebody from the uh, somebody from the police department came by the uh, the uh, you know the uh, the cab stand and wanted to talk to my boss about uh, people giving giving uh, people rides away from the jail. And I, I did not get in trouble uh, that that time, but I was very wary about who I left in the uh, who I <laughs> let ride in the cab after that. You know, I I didn't mention earlier that. A few years ago, I met Janine in a in a writers group, and uh, after after a while, we started dating and uh, and eventually got married. The first time I met her, she had Gianna with her, and Gianna was in one of those little carrying baskets. So she was a very very 
uh, little baby at the time. And little did I know that this was my this was my future family and the highlight of my life. So, Michael, was your family funny? Because there's so much humor in your writing. So did you grow up around or were you the were you the funny person in the family? No, uh, oddly enough, it, uh, a lot of a lot of the story. A lot of the storytelling comes from uh, from my stepfather, whose name is Bill, uh, who's who's a natural storyteller. Um, not, uh, and he's he's pretty humorous without without really trying to be. And uh, a lot of the way I learned how to how to talk and put words together actually came from him because he was uh, and and he was and remains very well very well spoken and just. It hardly opens his mouth, but he finds himself telling uh, telling a story. Usually, an extremely uh, I don't want to say inappropriate. That's that's not the word, but a very uh, often off color and little body. Janine <laughs> <laughs> uh, Janine sometimes doesn't know what to, what to think about uh, these people. Early, early on, I think they might have shocked her a little bit, but now she's she's quite used to it. They might be down to their level a little bit uh, for for all I know. <laughs> So let's go over to Janine. Why don't you tell us about your uh, story from uh, how you got from where you were to where you are now? Ah, well, um, I actually, I come from a family where uh, my mom had a 151 IQ. And, uh, and in terms of, she only had a high school education. Both of my parents grew up during the Great Depression. Um, but she was valedictorian of her small class in rural Minnesota. And... Um, and whenever, and I grew up in a household where there were, there was dictionary warfare and where, when my mom would pull out the hardback dictionary and look, she was usually the one who was, who was correct. So, and when it came to grammar, she, she certainly would correct mine. And, uh, and my parents always spoke to me as an adult. So, so that was advantageous in terms of of building English skills. Um, my dad only had an eighth grade uh, education. He, uh, his father died of the first documented case of Huntington's Korea um, during the Great Depression. And my dad, even though he was the youngest, he had to drop out and take care of his mom and three siblings. Uh, my dad was a carpenter. Uh, so he had the practical math thing going, but of the family members, he was the most creative. So he loved wordplay and uh, a lot of my creativity. And he was he was what I've always described as a TTT, a teller of tall tales. <laughs> the firm that came down with the family. Uh, so all the the kind of like puns and love which actually came from him. Um, so. I was uh, born and raised on the south side of Chicago in uh, Verdale, Illinois, and um, and I was always a reader. I loved reading. Uh, education was starting to be lost on me, and then uh, probably maybe uh, one or two handfuls of classmates and I were uh, taken into a program that was for fourth through sixth graders run by uh a teacher named Mrs. Zucker, who was a great teacher, and it was gifted literature. And so instead of diagramming sentences and doing things on prepositions and whatnot, we were able to read books, do reports on them that related to character, mood, setting, and plot, 
and then make creative projects in relationship to them. And she had uh, us start writing stories and poems there. And not unlike her full husband, uh, my work ended up in the local paper, helped me to see myself as a writer. And uh, and that's where it began. I, I mean, part of me always just kind of, I, I said journalist back then, uh, or detective, because I was a big Elden fan. I inherited those books from my significantly older sister. Um, but but they both involve that kind of questioning that, that a writer needs. And it was my favorite subject in high school, in it in college. Uh, but I majored in literature because I, as a first-generation college student, I really didn't know how to uh, research and, and find the cornfield in Iowa that would have led to a creative writing degree back then. And um, so as a college student, my first uh, internship was as an editorial assistant for an advertising trade magazine in Chicago. So I cut my teeth there um, in, in more than one regard. First, it was the first time I used a computer First time I used a design program. First time I had to make something good enough to be publication. And and I learned just a lot of lessons on writing from that. And then my first job outside of college was as a speech writer for the China and Taiwan's unofficial consulate in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I continued to learn there, but uh, it was a nice, it was a nice gig. I, I had a, a, a nice office space where I could see like half of Chicago out my window when it wasn't a cloudy day on the um, 57th floor of the Prudential 2 building. Wow. But, uh, but I, I went back for a master's degree, not knowing really um, wanted to write. And once again, I ended up uh, taking a, a slightly different path. I fell in love with with teaching college English, and I stayed in college um, after my master's degree. I in college English, but I never lost the writing bug. And eventually, I went back and earned an MFA in creative writing. And I have found a kind of a marriage between uh, between teaching and writing ever since then. And, and so. Did it lean more toward poetry or was it also um, story-based as well? It was story-based as well. It's kind of interesting because um, I, I think my first publications were were poetry, um, but I have never formally studied it. I decided in for my, I planned to make, uh, have fiction concentration and then I learned about creative nonfiction, right. and and so um, I actually my concentration is is in CN. I kind of dabble in a little bit of everything related, and my publications reflect that. Yeah, poetry sometimes springs from like for me, I, you know, I I write a lot of poetry, but I I don't necessarily think of it that way. It just kind of springs forth without much thought it's like I can't stop it from happening just like I can't make it happen it's not like I can sit down and write a poem like I can write a story like I understand that perfectly uh it's with the you can't make it happen there's a quote a 
a quote and I, I'm, I've lost who said it, but it basically is, and, um, and a gardener doesn't um, decorate his roses. I, I'm paraphrasing po poorly, but you can't force it. And when it does come to poetry, if I am feeling, when I have the strongest feelings, it's poetry is almost like a conduit onto the paper uh, first thing. And I think a lot of people uh, feel that way. So it's it's my go-to form for high emotions, uh, but but I I try um, I try ultimately for a published draft to have to go for not saying I always achieve it, but I try for a decent balance between um, thought and feeling. Right, and you can feel it in the weight of silence, especially because yes, it's a book of poetry, but it reads to me like I'm right there in that place, like I'm actually there, or it's a story rather than poems, you know, even though yes, it's a poem, and intellectually, I know it's a poem, but your your use of the language and phrasing really brings me there, like one line that especially always sticks with me um is the eyes of dryness of straw carrying carrying it's just mm -hmm. like so incredibly beautiful and moving but uh, you know all the poems in the weight of silence are so deep janine before we get off Thank of you. uh you're the poet laureate of highland indiana tell us how that came to be i am I am a former poet laureate. Okay. Uh, it was a position that I had to apply for and um, and provide samples, and it, it went uh, before a review board of my peers. And so, uh, at the time, I was I became the second poet laureate of Highland, and at the time, it was only a one year position. They've since switched it to two years. Um, but it was wonderful. I, I connected with Highland, uh, the the librarians and um, and small business owners of cafes and galleries, and and of course the residents of Highland and uh, those in surrounding communities in in ways I hadn't uh, been able to before, and and so it uh, it it made. Uh, it was a very rich experience, and hopefully I tried to have as many events that would appeal to as many different demographics as possible because I was supposed to be raising awareness of poetry to get people beyond thinking it either had to sound like Dr. Seuss or or was irrelevant and, and written by old, by dead white men who, who <laughs> loved nature. So, uh, So it was a lot of fun. Back to you, Michael. Tell us a little bit about uh, your writing journey, uh, how you got into writing some of the things you did. You're mostly focused on uh, short fiction. Well, <clears throat> uh, during, the, during the last of my time in uh, Athens, actually while I was, was still a college student, I, I had the opportunity to take uh, some poetry classes from, uh, from Wayne Dodd and, uh, and Tom Andrews, who were you know, well-known uh, excellent Ohio uh, poets, and I fancied myself a poet at the uh, at the time. And uh, we had some uh, we had some amazing uh, moments. Uh, Wayne Wayne Dodd was a uh, uh, and 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 still is uh, someone who just feels a deep connection with things, and also has an excellent sense of humor. And so there were there were moments that kind of drew me in. Like one day during a break in the class, 
we were standing by an open window and not too far from uh, the building uh, in which we found ourselves, there's another building that has a clock tower and there's a giant sycamore tree. And Wayne was in the middle of expostulating about the sycamore tree and he was saying, he said, what a, what a magnificent living thing. He said, don't you want to just worship that? It's just, it's just something you want to worship. And right in the middle of when he was talking, the bell in the clock tower just went, oh, come on, before you know it, we're going to all be dead. And it was it, just his, his way of looking at things and, and, and the humor and the depth and the, and the connection really drew me in. But it didn't uh, change the fact that I wasn't a very good poet. Um, I did actually uh, I have a couple of things published in those days. I think more, I think I sort of lucked into maybe a, a decent poem or two, but uh, it turned out. Wayne asked me one time. He said, "You're really, you're really, really into stories, aren't you? You're, you're really into narrative. Maybe that's your thing." And I, I, I think now he was probably encouraging me away from poetry as much as he was encouraging me to write. Uh, to write. I don't know. Your phrasing is quite poetic, though. Even within all that humor, I really. You know, really, just like with Janine's poems, there are sentences in all your books that just really are just they resonate so deeply and they're so poetic, you know, so I think I you, have a good, you have a good balance of both. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, I, I think where some of that comes from, and I'm going to tell a lowbrow story on, on myself that doesn't come from my family and their, their way of storytelling. Uh, I had a uh, I had an aha moment. And uh, it was a it was a movie. It was Oliver Stone's The Doors, and uh, I remember sitting in the movie theater. And the the movie opens. There's a there's a desert scene filmed from a helicopter, and uh, there's a there's a line from from one of the Doors songs. It's based on the poetry, if you want to call it that, of Jim Morrison. And he he said, "Out here on the perimeter, there are no stars," which is not a great line of poetry. But it, uh, but it was it was expansive and and had a lot of a lot of unity to it. And ever since I, I heard that, uh, it that it changed the way I write. I would love to claim that it was something from from Thomas Wolfe, uh, or or, or, or some, something like that. But it wasn't. It was and it wasn't even from listening to the music. It was from watching the darn movie. Um, and so uh, from then on, I wanted to try to work that kind of lyricality into my writing whenever possible and to never be happy with it unless unless it had that, which means I've thrown away a lot of bad writing, a lot of bad writing. Um, so, well, uh, anyway, I did I did start writing stories. I started reading a lot of stories, first and foremost, the kind that you find in literary journals. And then I'd always read short stories by the greats starting out with uh with the dead white men that janine <laughs> and um and I, I i got lucky I, again i uh i had a story published in the baltimore review and then uh and then i had a, a and that was just that was just wonderful and then i had a, another story published in oh shoot uh, the carolina quarterly which were uh, way better publications than I, I think I had a right to expect at the, at the time. And then I started, then for about eight years, I worked on a novel and this, this novel is, is unpublished. It's, it's called Apollo's ghost. And it's, it's lovingly referred to as the cube because when I finished it, it was well over 200,000 words long back then. I thought that was a big novel. Um, 
And I, uh, by then I had attracted the attention of an agent. There was a story I wrote that got an agent. My, my agent's name was Michelle Brower and she contacted me and she decided she wanted to work with me. She really liked my style. So she said, what if you got this full length? And so I sent her the cue. And she contacted me back and she said, when I first opened it up, I thought, well, this can't be the book. He's sent me a stuffed animal or something. So <laughs> she said, oh, my God, no, it really it really was the book. And she said, I can't sell this, <laughs> but I'd, I'd still really, really like to like to work with you. What else have you got? And uh, I had an idea at the time for a book based on uh, I, I wanted to write a biography of the devil. basically. And she said, you should send me that. And I said, well, it's not written yet. And uh, and she said, well, when do you think it'll it'll be uh, uh, written? And uh, so I, I, I gave her a, a date, which never, never do that because they turn it into a deadline. Um, anyway, it wasn't very long. It was it was done within a year. And then within six months, uh, we had a publisher with uh, Echo, which is an imprint of HarperCollins. And uh, that book went over very, very well. It got uh, it got starred reviews. It got wonderful. It's uh, a great book. It didn't it didn't sell. It didn't sell very well, although oddly enough, uh, it, it um, it's now been published in it's been published in Germany, and it just came out just like within the last couple of weeks in Italy. It's and, so philosophical. I find it so philosophical. <laughs> well, thank you. It's it was it was supposed to be kind of a portrait of of America. If you're if you're familiar at all with this, the story of uh, the Devil and Daniel Webster, that was kind of a that was kind of the seed of. Of the book, so I was trying to look at America through through the eyes of an, of a character who was uh, way older, who was kind of a folk hero, who was kind of uh, uh, in nature and with time and and with God in an adversarial uh, kind of way. So, but it's it's been interesting because the the Italian publisher has forwarded interest for uh, for two re, two interviews with uh, with Italian journalists. And the first, the first one I did, and it has since come out in Italian language Esquire. And then the uh, the second one, uh, it's 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 supposedly going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. But it's with a it's with a journalist with a, a classic communist magazine called Il Manifesto. So I'm I'm looking forward very much to my my interview with the Italian communists about the the devil. <laughs> Mike. Tell tell them about the review from Italy you received recently from a third publication. Oh uh, yeah, there's uh, somebody somebody recently wrote a re uh, review, uh, which I I don't uh, I don't know quite how the uh, how, how good the translation is, but at one point in time they said horror flops like a horror splashes like a happy fish. Uh, in the waters of irreverence or, or blasphemy or, or blasphemy, I, I, which I immediately, I was delighted and forwarded that immediately to Janine. Yes. <laughs> Mike and I were dating while I was, uh, or I should say Mike, Gianna and I were dating. He was, um, while he was writing up jumps, the devil mainly at a, a borders, uh, in South Lake mall. And, um, and I love, well, he started, he was writing the cube when I met him and I fell in love with him and his writing at the same time, but it was neat to go on the journey of his first novel being published. He called me from, he was visiting uh, his father in Arizona when he received the news of the publication. And so I, I heard about that and 
we were married by the time the book came out and and celebrated that day with everything from devil's food cake to <laughs> if it was devil related, we did it that day. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Uh, Michael, before we get to part, you're also uh, teaching. Uh, do you teach in Highland? or? Oh, I, I teach uh, over in uh, South Highland, Illinois, um, uh, which at, at a junior high school where I've taught for uh, since 19, uh, the fall of 1998, however long that is. It's over 20 years. And uh, I've taught seventh grade language arts. I've taught sixth grade everything. I actually taught math at one point, which should never have happened, but I, I managed. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, and, and then the, the guy who was teaching social studies retired, which I had been very much looking forward to. And it, he was, he was a good teacher and everything, but, uh, I wanted his job and I've taught social studies ever since then. And it's, it's, it's my dream job. I, I tell stories for a living. We talk about civics. Uh, we, uh, you know, we, we talk about everything from, from government to like, well, this week we're, we're focusing on on how to use how to use your voice to help create change in the in the world and with the with the election as a as a backdrop to that. I, I actually last week I I went to Washington to take part in a in a protest and I kind of took the kids along with me by way of taking photographs and making uh, making videos with my phone and then yesterday I I kind of threw a virtual field trip. Uh, for them, where I had you know people that I met in Washington talking to the camera and speaking to the kids about about using your voice and whatnot, and I kind of got off track there uh, a little bit. But uh, that's teach, teaching is is very meaningful to me for uh, for that uh, for that reason is because I'm able to take the things that I love and the things that that really light me up and try to get the kids to just be on fire to to learn and and be involved in the in the world and if if i can retire feeling like i did that i will i will be a happy fellow Janine's story also i mean it just it just takes that one teacher to change your life or spark your imagination it's like it's such an important job and with both of you i really adore like the balance of um both of you, the writing, whether poetry or novels. So where or how do you feel? And this is for both of you. How do you feel your styles intersect? Do you bounce things off of each other? How do you think you've interfaced in between both of your disciplines? We, we are very, very, uh, very different. Um, Janine uses, I, I should really let her, her talk about this and I, and I will, but I, I believe she views her writing as a means to, uh, creating change uh, in a very direct way. Uh, it was like when you used to walk into the uh, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago, and it was as if the art was like shaking you by the collar and saying, hey, these are things that are problems. These are changes that need to happen. And her writing does that. I mean, in, in, in Weight of Silence, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a book about Haiti that says, look, here are some things that are beautiful, and here are some things that we need, that everyone needs to pay attention to. And she are direct about that. I'm. You can't be that that direct in a in a novel. I I don't think. And so I I would flatter myself if I thought that in a lifetime of writing I I contributed one tenth as much as as she as she will in a couple of books. Um, but uh, that's to me that's that's what we revolve around when we share things with each other. It's it's about the language, but but it's also about the the 
you know, the job, the, the getting things done of, of trying to make the world a better place. I of course feel Mike, uh, you know, like today I received a notification of a release for an anthology that I I've contributed to. And, um, they, they sent $25 to my PayPal account for the contribution. Um, Mike's, uh, so I always joke, okay, I, I've earned $25. We can retire now. Um, but, but Mike is the one who, who, who makes the money with his writing. Uh, but in, 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 I'm saying this because, um, due to his, his sense of humor and his, uh, his humor makes anything more palatable. And so, he contributes in indirect ways to a much wider audience than I do. Uh, I, I have more of a, a niche market. And, um, and so I, I disagree with my husband's statement that I contribute more than he does. Yeah. But I did, um, like Mike was talking about Wayne Dodd, and, uh, and I did attend a, essentially a, a historically black MFA program. We're writing as uh, Chicago State University. We're writing is seen as an agent of social change. I studied under Hakeem Ahabuti from the Black Power Movement, uh, the Black Arts Movement within the Black Power Movement, and Kelly Norman Ellis, um, uh, those two especially, Sandra Jackson Apoku, and um, and so that did impact. That influenced my writing. That and uh, James Baldwin's essay, "The Creative Process," that I read in high school, where he says uh, it's the writer's responsibility to make the world a more uh, humane dwelling place. And and I never thought about a right. I was in high school. I was a junior. I was sixteen or so, and I never thought about a writer actually having a responsibility. <laughs> so that was eye opening. Mike and I are able to talk process. We're uh, we're able to 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 be in writing groups together. Our processes are much different, um, but because we can compare and contrast them, um, I'm actually able to use. Uh, that when I teach creative writing and explain there is no correct process and, and I'll, I'll say I'm a builder and my husband is a slasher and I make him sound like he in some horror movie, but yeah. <laughs> he cuts more I write. <laughs> so from, um, we can go from personal to writing and back kind of seamlessly. So it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful partnership in, in that regard, and others, of course. <laughs> Away from your writing for a minute, how long have you guys been married? Ten years this summer. Okay, very good. Let's let's it move on. It does not seem like like ten years. It is the it's the fastest uh, it's the fastest part of my life as far as I mean, everything just streaming. I, I, we have a. I don't think it would be a surprise to Janine for me to say that you know we have a really happy marriage. We have a great time in this house. We we laugh a lot. We we have conversations. It's a small house, so we know when how how and when to leave each other alone. <laughs> we didn't know before COVID. We certainly now know now. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, since so, you brought up the, since you brought up the, about the pandemic, how's that impacted you? Uh, you know, in terms of. Uh, you know, your routine and things like that, both personally and maybe even in your writing. Has it influenced you at all? Mike? Uh, 
I know I was expecting at the very beginning of it that I was going to have a great deal more time to devote to writing. Uh, that that has not turned out to be to be true because it, it's made teaching. There, there's a lot more work that goes into online teaching than goes into just walking into the classroom uh, to you know try to make it palatable to the to the kids and. Uh, and, and also just the preparation. You have you have to prepare differently. You have to prepare a great. You have to prepare the lesson, and you have to prepare the technology. Anyway, long story short, uh, I, it has not resulted in great gobs of writing uh, getting done. Um, it has. I, I would have said at one point that I didn't think it was affecting me very much. I always kind of wanted to have the extra time and to be left to to be left alone more and everything. But I, I I'm finding that I generally feel worse about things than I, I did before and I just uh, I think it's getting to me more than I more than I thought it would I think I, I'm actually developing a form of cabin fever which is a which is a surprise to me it's it's more of an effort for uh, for me to be pleasant than it was than it was before and to, to make sure that I'm not uh, aggravating uh, the people around me whether that's at work or or at home so uh, yeah I, on, on the whole it hasn't it hasn't been a real good thing. So is Gianna, she, is she um, taking her classes all at home? Is she doing online classes? She, she is. Um, her, her regular high school was really going back and forth last minute about, you know, the in-person or the online and the methodology. And, um, and we actually enrolled her in a, a, an online university for this year. It's uh, Indiana University High School. Um, so it, it's, been, it's been a fortunate thing. Um, yes. So, and she's getting some art done as well. Uh, she's learning some valuable lessons about time management because she, uh, she is on her own in terms of scheduling and completing uh, the coursework. So, so has she had more time to pursue and maybe she wants to answer this. Um, Gianna, do you have more time to pursue the digital arts and have you found anybody online to help you progress with that? Or do oh, you do I it all on your own? This actually hmm? um, throughout <laughs> there have been, there have definitely been roadblocks, art blocks, definitely, but I feel as though my art from the first half of this year and my art from the second half of this year has improved a hundredfold. Um, I've recently gone on Twitter and started posting my work. And though you might think a more picture-oriented social media platform like Instagram would be more catered towards artists, I think Twitter is actually a bit better on there because you'll make friends easier. So not only has my art changed and improved throughout quarantine, I've also made a lot of new online friends that have been keeping me busy um, besides my terrible school. <laughs> I know that's like, uh, actually, that's like one of the things about this global pandemic is that we are, we have an opportunity to become a global community and, and our friends are now they're all over the world who we're sharing um, art with, or and that's been, that's been like one of the, you know, like the balancing of the devastation of this pandemic is hopefully going to lead us to continue to be a global community. So do your other friends, do they, so everybody's sharing art as well as, are you writing together? Are you in any sort of like role-playing groups write. where you can 
activate the writing? I do not write. I am a visual artist, and though I do love poetry, yes, 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 okay, this guy. <laughs> I do like writing and poetry, but it isn't my main thing. Yeah. We are in two very different genres of artistic prowess. <laughs> You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. So what kind of digital digital art do you like to do? And do you also, um, is that the only form of art you like? Or do you like to, to draw or paint or? Okay, I, I've been doing digital art for a very long time. So let's say that for one year or two, maybe I probably did more traditional art. But mm-hmm. that was when I was first starting out and I was first starting out in fourth grade. So you can say that the digital media has grown with me. So I feel very attached to doing digital art. However, I do love painting and I admire people who do do do, do traditional art because it's so very intricate and complex. And I really admire that. Gianna, one, uh, what kind of tools do you use for digital art? Yeah, that was going to be my question too. <laughs> well, throughout quarantine, that has been my thing too, is I've been switching between digital art programs because during the school year, my school iPad actually had a drawing program on it. So that's what I used because I was drawing on my phone before. So then I moved to an iPad. And then after school was done, we had to return our iPads. And it's just like, well, what am I going to do now? So eventually I got a, a tablet. I got a drawing tablet for Christmas that connects to my computer. So I have a really big screen. And that's just one of the physical tools I use. Now here comes the programs. Um, I was using a free software called Metabang for a very long time. And then I decided I needed a switch. So I tried Photoshop. But Photoshop is for editors, really. It's very overhyped in the art industry. It's just like, well, if you don't have Photoshop, then your art's not any good. You have to have Photoshop. But I switched to a much cheaper program called Clip Studio Paint. And it's been wonderful it knows what artists want they know what the tools artists want for their drawings so i've been using it yeah it's amazing well and photoshop really is a a, really ideally for photo photo editing you're right uh illustrator probably comes a little bit closer to that but again that's for producing commercial art more than uh you know fine art so tell us a little bit of the inside thing of living with uh michael and your mom oh well I hate to break it to y'all, but it's not that interesting. (laughs) (laughs) What a shock. (laughs) They function as normal parents. I guess you could say that they are different because they have a very big focus on education, setting goals for yourself, reading. They love, always, always they want me to read, which I enjoy. So it's not really a problem for me. And Mike summed it up. He said, we have a lot of laughs. We have a great time. And I guess one of the many quirks of having writers slash teacher parents is they have like these little, these little rituals, especially Mike. Mike is just full of rituals and traditions and little knickknacks that he has on the side of his couch, which has these like both low statues or like Star Wars Lego things or bottle openers. It was just like, I need these to write better. So, yes, inspiration. <laughs> inspiration. So I guess you could say we have a really 
good view of the intricate writing process of these two. Do you guys play games or stuff? Are there any, you know, so like, do you have like game night that's word-based? Sure, we play Scrabble sometimes. <laughs> um, and then we have to argue about who's making up words and who's not. It's, it's three which, which ribbons. I uh, try to get away with it and, and can't. So. <laughs> oh, I'm like, Dixit, yes. Dixit's wonderful. You have wordplay. Wordplay, and it like com- combines visual elements and writing elements so it's like storytelling but with cards and it's wonderful play dixit play dixit <laughs> yes oh there's a lot of reading of things like edgar Allan poe stories and you know we went haunted indiana one year so but a lot of oral storytelling i think too i know we did like the um poetry magnets when the kids were really little, you know, and I always loved waking up to see what lines of poetry were on the refrigerator. (laughs) Those are fantastic. So what are you looking forward to after the pandemic? I mean, if you've been pretty much sheltering in place for the most part, what's uh, something you're looking forward to doing? Getting on a train and going to museums in Chicago. (laughs) Janine? Yeah. The pandemic for me, I I had to choose projects wisely because it was I felt vulnerable and depressed at the beginning in spring and the the BLM uh, protests and and in June it just all was so heavy. Uh, so I chose to write a uh, a short travel memoir. So I was reliving the travel, which kind of helped with my wanderlust. Um, the pandemic, of course, has been heavy and hard. I, I'm on Facebook more than Mike is, so I, I think I have more contact with the outside world in, in that regard. Um, but I would say that uh, I've also tried as much as possible to take advantage of as much uh, virtual professional development and as many author readings as possible. And until the school year started, it was also a great time for reflection in the summer, which I don't don't normally have as much time for. But then the school year started. Yeah. Uh, Travel. I like Mike. I want I want the museums, but I just want to get in the car and go on an adventure. Right. We're also looking forward to being permitted by the rest of the world to leave the United States and go travel abroad. (laughs) Uh, We're hoping that 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 will happen at some point. We we had plans to travel in the British Isles and uh, really, really everywhere. So we're, we're ready to go. It's usually the other countries that have, have not been accepting the uh, people from the States. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. We're, like, please, can we, can we come over there? Let us, let us out of here for a little while. And for a while, the answer is still going to be no, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. We interviewed a, a Grammy Award-winning uh, uh, musician who's from South Africa who is stuck in Australia because you can't leave. Luck, fortunately, you can stay at his uh, son's house, but he's stuck there because they're just wow. not letting people in or out of Australia at all. Wow. So any projects you're looking forward to doing? We're getting close to wrapping up here. Uh, first, Michael, uh, anything you have on the front burner? Uh, I, I, have, I have a number of projects that I, I, I'm working on. Right, right now... I tried to write a. I'm trying to write a fantasy novel, just you know, with swords and wizards and and things like that, uh, with uh, hopefully some social relevance in there. But uh, I thought it was going to be a quick, easy project, and uh, I'm now into the second year of it. And uh, my my agent told me that uh, she said she really liked the book. She thought, you know, she said we're gonna we're gonna sell this uh, and everything, but the, it needs a it needs a lot of work. 
and uh, she assigned me a whole bunch of books uh, to read. Excellent, uh, excellent fantasy books. And so between work and uh, and doing my homework for her, uh, that's my project at the moment is reading and uh, and becoming a better uh, a better fantasy writer. And uh, when I'm done with that, then I will I will finish that book. And then I've got another one that I've been working on for like four years that I'll work on. So the projects go to and beyond the, the horizon. And Janine, real quick, uh, anything you're looking forward to doing? I, I must add to Mike's that uh, Mike's second project makes the cube look small. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm I'm finishing up the travel, uh, the short travel memoir slash guide. I'm finishing up a memoir, um, and I'm hoping next summer to return uh, to an actual full length memoir that I. Uh, Needed to let get very cold and return to. It's called Queen of Lilac Time. Yeah. Okay. Can you quickly give us your uh, websites? Because uh, I know you both uh, have one. Michael? Uh, MichaelPoor.live. Okay. And that poor is P O O R E. Right. P uh, O O R E, just like no money with an E on the end. Okay. <laughs> and Janine? Uh, JanineHarrison.com, and it's J A N I N E. Can I? Do we have a minute for me to end with one of Michael's? Something from Up Jumps the Devil, which is you'd be surprised how much of your happiness has to do with little problems. So it's sort of like pandemic, uh, pan- a pandemic thought. <laughs> okay. Well, we'd like to thank you again, uh, Michael Poor and uh, Janine Harrison, along with uh, Gianna, who is also updated us on that. Thank you for all much for coming on Art on the thank Air. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Larry and Esther. Thank you. Our pleasure. You've been listening to Art on the Air, and we'd like to thank our guests this week. Art on the Air is heard every Friday at 11 a.m. and rebroadcast Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP and Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Thanks again to Greg Kovach, WVLP Station Manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Underwriters for Art in the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum, our landlord, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments, and Mary LeVan, Arts Patron. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant and the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event, or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H, dot com, or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself.